bum bum bottom 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 bum bum
But like Don Greenwood's power is attainable. Mm. Like I can be radically at times irrationally kind and generous. And so when we got this art from Karen with myself and you flying through the cosmos, like it just, it warmed, it warmed me. Yeah. Their art is literally the only pictures of us up on the walls of this apartment. <laughs> that's true, that's true. And while I will never, uh, one, I'll never be the Silver Surfer, and two, I'll never cosplay as the Silver Surfer, <laughs> I don't have the body for it. Um, what I really appreciate about this image is that Karen does not give me the Silver Surfer's physique. <laughs> she gives me an appropriate Brad physique as Silver Surfer, and that really made me uh, laugh, but also made me feel good inside. And 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 yeah, I just it it is such a treat to see ourselves depicted in an illustration. And again, Karen, thank you so much for this. Their commissions are incredibly affordable. Uh, and I would recommend to all of you to seek out their talents because, I mean, yeah, look at this. Look at this. This is incredible. I highly recommend swooping in and getting a commission from them now yeah. before they realize their actual value. We got a deal and a steal on these. Yeah. Marvel, DC, uh, hire them now. Yes. Get Karen. Mm-hmm. And while we're on this train of words of affirmation, Lisa, let's give a little love to our Twitter bud, Robbie Deshays. Yes! He's recently published his really rad comic book, Adam and Eternity. The first issue is out now, and we got a sneak peek at it, and I kind of love it. Yeah, I mean, this book contains some big ideas. Yeah, yep, that's for sure. Like, it is not a comic where oh, we're going to introduce some mythology. Maybe you'll be a little aware of it. And it's just going to be some action and some excitement. Robbie is, he's going for the meaning of life. And he says that right up front in his introduction. It was really cool to read this alongside the Enneagram mm. book because there is some shared DNA, I feel like, uh, between Robbie's aim and the aim of the Enneagram. Oh, that's interesting. I can kind of see that for sure. Uh, the basic logline of the series reads, an impossible creation learns to become human through a spectacularly mythological but grounded journey. Once finishing this unlikely journey of discovery, it is then given a choice to decide the fate of the broken universe he was born into. We've just barely dived into what this logline promises and I'm intrigued. Yeah, clearly it's a big world. It's dealing with some heady concepts, uh, a wide range of characters. You've got Christian myth, you know, Adam. You've got Ophelia. You've got Prometheus. Uh, he's having a lot of fun with some crazy big ideas. And I really appreciate it when a creator tackles like deep philosophical stuff to work out his own issues, to work out his own ideas of what it means to be alive. Mm. Kudos to Robbie and the artist Dominic Pinto. They are clearly undertaking something that is immense yeah. and 
has the potential to be really powerful. Yeah. The second issue of Adam and Eternity just came out as well, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Uh, But Robbie did the kind gesture and published issue two on my birthday. Which is today. Which is today. (laughs) Thanks, dude. If you want to get your own copy of the comic, you can do so by heading over to his Twitter page, which is at Robbie underscore Deshays. That's spelled R-O-B-B-Y underscore D-E-S-H-A-I-E-S. And I'll try to remember to put a link in the show notes so you can hit him up through us. It just feels so special that Robbie thought to send this comic to us. It feels Mm. awesome that these ambitious, cool, creative people are listening to our podcast. And um, and maybe you're listening to this podcast partly because you're curious about us, maybe. And and we're curious about you. We yeah, want to sure. know what you're doing. So if you have a special heart project that you're working on and you're putting it out into the world, please send it to us. Yeah, we're so thankful that you're excited to share things with us because we are excited to share things with you, especially when it comes to Don Greenwood and Norrin Rad. When Brad asked me when we kicked off the show a little more than a year ago if Don Greenwood and Norrin Rad should be the first relationship we dissect on the couch, I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) They are far too precious to me. Um, We should start with one of your all-time favorite couples, Scott Summers and Jean Grey. Which we did, and it went well, Lisa. Those are spectacular episodes. I love those episodes. I think they're some listeners' favorite episodes, don't you think? Uh, Yes, and they're also some listeners' least favorite episodes. (laughs) The X-Men are so divisive. They are, they are. (laughs) But, like, I think the term that I use is, like, we can't go to Don Greenwood until we are on peak podcast. Yeah, right, right, right. I didn't want to be working the kinks out on Don Greenwood and the Silver Surfer. Yeah, I don't know if we're actually at peak podcast, fingers crossed. How how can you know? But, but I, like, I can't contain myself any longer. You're That's really, the truth. really excited. And so am I. I adored going back and rereading this series. I love Silver Surfer and I do really cherish Don Greenwood. And I'll never forget the first time I handed you this comic, because I knew instantly that this was a Lisa comic. It's got plots, it's got schemes, it's got kissing, (laughs) it's got wild fantasy adventure. Uh, But Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you had not read any Silver Surfer comics before this issue. That's correct, yeah. I never read any Silver Surfer titled comics. I may have come across him in some other Marvel situation where they're just throwing the heroes at you, but he didn't stand out to me in it in any way. On this podcast, Silver Surfer has come up a couple times. He shows up in the Donny Cates uh, Thanos wins uh, mm-hmm. storyline, which we covered when we talked about Thanos and Lady Death. Uh, also pops up in Infinity Gauntlet. Again, we talked about that with Thanos and Lady Death. For me, he's always been a favorite character, uh, but there really is no iteration of Norrin Rad, quite like what we see here with Dan Slott and Mike Allred. And because of that, this arc is a little divisive within the Marvel Cosmos fans. That bums me out because I love it so much. Yeah, and and I, like reading Silver Surfer Black. Uh, yeah, you were you were not happy with Silver Surfer Black. I love Silver Surfer Black, but you were pretty peeved. No mention of uh, the Lady Don Greenwood. Well, I mean, I understand 
Like, as a comic book fan, you do kind of have to build your own canon. Yeah, sure. And so, like, Don Greenwood is so canon to me that I read Silver Surfer Black and go, like, well, if Don Greenwood has not existed, then this is not canon to me, and why am I reading it? Tonally, Dan Slott and Michael Allred's Silver Surfer is unlike any other iteration of Silver Surfer. Before this, especially... Like when Stan Lee took the character out of Fantastic Four and and brought on John Buscema, they did the solo title. That Silver Surfer is a very broody, uh, introspective, um, uh, conflicted, philosophically uh, bubbling creature. And, and, and it's all heady, serious stuff. And Slot and Allred's uh, Silver Surfer plays with that version of Silver Surfer, but over the course of its series, it's much more whimsical. I knew that when I was reading those first three issues that I was reading something that was extraordinarily special and unlike anything that had come before it. But I fell in love with the idea that someone as broody and as alone as the Silver Surfer could have his entire outlook on the universe changed by one single person. Yeah, I feel like Allred and Slot have radically evolved the concept of Silver Surfer. And, you know, using this tone, which obviously owes a great debt to Doctor Who. Dan Slott's a big Doctor Who a fan. A Whovian. A Whovian. And this run is often dismissed as like a Doctor Who ripoff or a wannabe. And I think that it takes the companion concept into heights uh, that I haven't even seen in Doctor Who. I, I think it... That 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 critique you may be able to apply to the first issue, but beyond that first issue, I think it's invalid. To me, I feel like nobody who has read these nine volumes in their entirety would say that. Right, exactly. Silver Surfer can be both dark and broody at times and whimsical. He's he's a person. He contains multitudes. And even Bruce Wayne did the Batusi every once in a while. Yes, but the difference between Silver Surfer and Batman is that Batman has been continuously published since 1939. You know, Detective Comics and Batman. Lots of people have had their hands in his universe and have shaped his mythology, have broken his mythology, remolded his mythology. Silver Surfer, that's not the case. Silver Surfer gets published in like fits and starts. The Silver Surfer made his first appearance in Fantastic Four number 44 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and published in November of 1965. Jack and Stan have been on our minds a lot lately. So if you haven't already, go back and listen to our Creator Corner interview with Tom Scioli, who just published his Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics graphic novel. It is essential reading. So good. Uh, What's interesting is that while Lee debated who created what throughout his entire career, he never claimed a creator credit on The Silver Surfer. He put it on the record that the surfer is 100% Jack Kirby. When Kirby turned in his pencils for Fantastic Four 44, Stanley pointed at the guy on the surfboard and said, who's that? Uh, And Kirby had just drawn the surfer into the story and he's like, that's the surfer. Stanley, being the master of alliteration, dubbed him the silver surfer, Excelsior. (laughs) And the rest is history. P.S. Kirby gave him a surfboard because he was simply exhausted of penciling spaceships. I hear that. (laughs) The the Silver Surfer originally served as a herald of Galactus. He was there to tell Earth to get ready for the apocalypse. Say your prayers. You're about to be a snack for a space god. 
the surfer started life as an astronomer named Norrin Rad of the planet Zen Law. When Galactus came calling for his planet, Norrin sacrificed his service to the ravenous god, cursed to scour the cosmos for tasty planets for his new master to consume. With the help of the Fantastic Four, Norrin rediscovered his autonomy and broke free from his horrendous role as servant to Galactus's bottomless pit. But because of his actions, billions and billions of lives were snuffed out. Uh, the Surfer is a character of infinite shame, forever working to make amends for actions that can probably never be forgiven. That makes him one of the most unique figures in superhero comics, and why he's so broody. Uh, now he uses the power cosmic that Galactus imbued him with to aid the weak and unfortunate. Now, the new Dawn storyline we're covering on this episode was published in March of 2014. 48 years later, Norrin still suffers from his horrendous actions, which tracks because I wouldn't want to see this guy uh, be cured of this shame, right? You say it's 48 years later, but this book opens with a child, Dawn, looking up in the sky going, hey, look, it's a shooting star. And it's actually the Silver Surfer coming to Earth to 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 hand it over to Galactus. Yeah, that's true. Right, right. Marvel time, right? Like yeah. 48 years later is actually 12 years earlier. So uh, Surfer's got a lot of redemption that he needs to work through. But that is part of the appeal of the Silver Surfer is the struggle for redemption. And I am a person, and Lisa, you're a person, who believes in redemption. Yes. And while it would be very hard to forgive somebody for the death of billions and billions of lives, it is thrilling and exciting and morally interesting to watch a character try to redeem himself for all those deaths. I'm having deja vu from when we were talking about Gambit, because he was in a similar situation where we're like, yeah. why is Rogue being so snooty to, to yep, Gambit? Yep. It's because he just took part in a genocide. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> mutant massacre. And to have... Uh, all those uh, apocalyptic origins play out uh, with the tone of this comic is off-putting at first, but kind of delightfully so. And the fact that John is able to see him as a new person is really inspiring. Yeah, and, and Lisa, uh, while this was also your first encounter with the Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood, it was also your first encounter with Dan Slott, the writer. I fell in love with the way that he writes dialogue. I think he's really flip. He's really funny. He has a facility with the universe that I always find super admirable. And uh, yeah, so I just started just going down the list of the other stuff that he's written and, and I enjoy pretty much all of it. You love She-Hulk. I do, particularly <laughs> volume one, because yeah. it's like uh, She-Hulk, Marvel meets Ally McBeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slot has been writing comic books since 1991 uh, with the release of Mighty Mouse number 10 and an eight-page backup story in Marvel's New Warriors annual number one. A year later, he was the regular writer of Marvel's Ren and Stimpy series. And for a while, he kicked around a lot of kitty-centric stories like Scooby-Doo, Looney Tunes, Powerpuff Girls, Batman Adventures, and Justice League Adventures. I really want to find those Batman Adventure books. We haven't, we haven't found them yet. I don't think I really took any notice of Slot until he scripted Arkham Asylum Living Hell, which featured the most rad art by Ryan Sook. It's an underrated little miniseries worth checking out, folks. 
Uh, but from there, he landed a gig writing She-Hulk for Yay. Marvel. Yay, Lisa. But of course, Slot made the most noise within the industry during his time writing Spider-Man, specifically the Superior Spider-Man in 2013, when Dr. Octopus's brain took over the body of Peter Parker. So much furor was sparked over that initial title. But in hindsight, guess what, gang? It's pretty damn fantastic, and we should all learn to lay final judgments until after reading a story arc or two. Uh, but we'll never learn, will nah. we, Lisa? No, no, no. Silver Surfer was part of the all-new Marvel Now initiative, which was not a wide-line reboot a la DC's New 52, but it was yet another excuse to renumber everything back to issue one. In fact, Slot and Allred's time on Silver Surfer would contain not only two number one issues, but also the 200th issue. How does that make sense? Only comic book weirdos like us understand it, or at least accept it. We are on episode number 50 and episode number 69, both of which we would celebrate anyway, because we're children. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's correct. That's correct. Uh, you know, you became a fan of Dan Slott because of Silver Surfer, and I became a fan of Dan Slott because of Silver Surfer. But the reason why I picked this issue up in the first place is because of Mike Allred, the artist. I've been a Mike Allred obsessive since the 90s when he was cranking out Madman comics. I never quite understood them as a kid, but the pop art style was hypnotic. And it was clear that he was an artist's artist, attracting all kinds of cool cats to work with on his Madman trading card set, which to this day is an essential collection of art. We're talking Jim Woodring drawing Madman. Uh, hell yes. Art Adams on Madman. You bet. You my gotta get it. My favorite part of that card set is the fact that Mike Mignola is in there and yeah. his credit is not Hellboy. That's, that's right. Yeah. It's real early Mike Mignola. Uh, X-Force Mike Mignola. Uh, before comics, Mike Allred was a radio host in Oregon and a television reporter in Europe. Whoa, I'd like to know more about that. His son, Han, is currently putting together a documentary about his dad called Space Face. So hopefully we'll get a lot more groovy details on the early days of Michael Allred there. His first published comic work was for the original graphic novel Dead Air. And Graphique Musique and its follow-up series, Graphic Music, is where Frank Einstein would appear and the Madman title would flow out of. Since then, Mike has done it all, and it's all worth seeking out. X-Force, Ecstatics, iZombie, The Golden Plates, which is an adaptation of the Book of Mormon, and his fourth world saga, Bug? You gotta read those comics. I've read them all except for the Book of Mormon one, and I need to get it now. You do, you do, you do. Uh, but we're here to talk about The Silver Surfer, and yes, this is The Silver Surfer's Finest Hour. That's where we're coming from. We're really excited to get into it. However, Lisa, before we can discuss the comic, we gotta meet our new love guru. I am so excited. Our love guru for Don Greenwood and Norrin Rad is Stephanie Baron Hall. Using her book, The Enneagram and Love, a roadmap for building and strengthening romantic relationships. I decided to go with a book about the Enneagram because one, I love taking an online quiz, and two, I love to sort people into neat, clean boxes. The more subcategories, the better. <laughs> of course, I read the introduction and Stephanie Baron Hall is like, the Enneagram is more than an online quiz, and it's not about sorting people into neat, clean boxes, and I'm like, oh no. I became curious about the Enneagram while listening to the stand-up comedian Pete Holmes's podcast, You mm. Made It Weird. Everything goes back to stand-up with me. Yes, it does. He refers to his Enneagram type frequently. He is a type three, his wife Val is a type nine, and he's like, oh, it makes so much sense. 
He is very much into spirituality, meditation, Ram Dass, microdosing with mushrooms, that sort of stuff. So I figured that the Enneagram was like a hippie's Myers-Briggs test, which is actually, I still stand behind that comparison. <laughs> there are a lot of books on Amazon about the Enneagram, but I wanted one that centered around couples and relationships, of which there were a few. And I picked this one because it seems to be the one that came out most recently so that it would have the latest in Enneagram science or pseudoscience, as the case may be. The Enneagram in Love was released this past June. Actually, this book was a sponsored ad on Amazon. Oh, so that was that was money money well spent yeah. on that part because <laughs> it worked on me. From the About the Author page, Stephanie Baron Hall is a coach, speaker, and certified Enneagram professional. She has her undergraduate degree in psychology and a master's degree in organizational communication. She has a pretty slick Instagram present at Nine Types Co. And this bio says that she is a frequent podcast guest. So maybe we reach out to her. Ooh. Could Stephanie Baron Hall be the first love guru to join us on In the Love Nest? That'd be really cool. We shall see. I haven't reached out or anything. I'm shy. <laughs> the book has three parts. This week, we'll be broadly covering part one entitled The Enneagram, which gives you a little background about the Enneagram, and it outlines each of the nine Enneagram types to help put you on the path to discovering your type. Stephanie Baron Hall defines the Enneagram as a motivation-based personality system oriented around nine core motivations. It categorizes people into personalities based on their core motivation, the underlying sense of yearning that, when unchecked, drives our unconscious behavior. According to Stephanie Baron Hall, our personality is our default operating mode, which can include defense mechanisms, behavioral patterns, and the stories we tell ourselves. The aim of being aware of your type or core motivation is that you can make more mindful choices to move you towards greater wholeness or health. The word Enneagram refers to a symbol, Ennea meaning nine and gram meaning picture. The nine Enneagram types are often shown on a diagram that has an isosceles triangle at the center, and there are two sort of open-ended triangles drawn over it, so it looks like an outline of Lisa Simpson's head with nine <laughs> points, which has a vague, nondescript, religious, spiritual, philosophical origin. Stephanie Baron Hall includes a brief history of the Enneagram symbol and its journey to becoming the personality diagram that's used today, which I found very intriguing and a little insidious, but I'm going to pick that bone in a future episode. Let's just say the history starts with this quote, the modern Enneagram is an interwoven system of ancient wisdom and contemporary psychology, which, when I read that through my eye of Agamotto, says <laughs> the modern Enneagram is an interwoven system of woo and poppycock. <laughs> but I am not above woo, nor am I not full of poppycock. I love poppycock. So let's just take that as a grain of salt. I figure for this introductory portion of our session, I figure we go over each of the nine personality types and lightly try to type cool. ourselves. And then over the course of talking about the Silver Surfer Volume 1, A New Dawn, we can try to discern Dawn and Surfer's types and any other characters right. we come across that seem to fall into right. one of the types. There are a lot of them. There are many online versions of the Enneagram test, 
And I've preliminarily taken two of them because I could not resist. But Stephanie Barenhall does not recommend taking the online tests. Here's a quote. Rather than relying on a quick online test for a black and white answer, I recommend self-reflection, contemplation, and self-discovery to find your type. That being said, she does have a page in the resource section with recommended versions if you're like me and you just have to take one. When you hear your type, it's supposed to hit you like a ton of bricks. It's supposed to be this deeply resonant experience. Some may find it unsettling to have their core motivations exposed because they're part of what the book refers to as our shadow sides, because we subconsciously choose to keep that part of ourselves in the dark unexamined. So brace yourself, Brad. I'm ready. Here we go. There are just a few more tips that Stephanie Barenhall gives before we can properly type ourselves. Buckle up, Brad. This is a bulleted list. I love a bulleted list. Patow! The first <laughs> one is to begin with curiosity while withholding self-judgment. Because mm. we're looking for a part of ourselves that our subconscious does not want to look at, mm. and it's going to make us feel a little bit squidgy. Okay, okay. I can do that. Patow! The next one. Focus on motivation not behavior. Mm. So there are a couple of types where that might have similar behaviors, but they're doing it for very different reasons. So we're looking at not the behavior that we do, but the reason we do that behavior. Okay. Okay. Digging in. Patel. <laughs> when you inevitably take the test like myself, hold on to the results loosely. So there might be a, like, I took the test and I actually got two different results. Okay. And so it's supposed to just kind of be like a guide to maybe point you into a direction, but that doesn't make it your truth. All right. So don't don't get too hurt by the answers. It could evolve. It could change. And don't take the, the answers as gospel. Okay. All right. Patow. This is going to be a tough one for me. Don't tell your partner what you think their types are. Mm. Since this book is about couples, it's really taking the angle of, this is a journey that two people are meant to take together, uh -huh. but it's not a journey that a person can take for the other person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't say like, oh, you are this. I know it. Yeah, and and even if it's the truth, they're going to hear that and go like, well, I couldn't possibly be that because I'm, I'm a complicated person. Patow. This is the last one. You'll probably see yourself in more than one type. And she recommends journaling, reflecting, and pondering your core motivations to, to gradually come to the truth. The nine types fall into three categories, which are grouped around body parts, which gives me kind of chi vibes or sure. maybe even the four humors, <laughs> sure. which are head, heart, and gut. These are the intelligent centers, and each intelligent center is a source of underlying discomfort or discontent, which influences the person's perceptions and behaviors. So these are the three intelligent centers. Head types. These three types perceive through thinking and are responding to underlying fear and anxiety through thought mechanisms. Gut or body. These types perceive through intuition. They use tactics to cope with underlying anger to either show it, numb it, repress, or resent it. Heart types. These are the types with emotional intelligence. They often deal with deep shame and they cope with that by trying to empathize, to strive to be better or to introspect. 
So just off the bat, do you feel like you predominantly fall into one of these three categories, either a head, gut, or heart type? I feel like a heart type. Mm. Uh, that, that's that's my uh, go-to type at the moment. I, too, feel like I am a heart type, though I do have an anxiety disorder, yes. which might lean me more to a head type. I'm not sure. Hold on to your butts, because it's time for Brad and I to type ourselves. Listeners, try to type yourself along with us, and by all means, send your results to us at, at CBCC Podcast on Twitter, and we'll include your results on the next episode. I think that's Ooh. kind of exciting. I feel like it should have a hashtag, though. Oh, what? A hashtag? Uh, okay, so there's surf and turf, right? Right. What about hashtag Surf and types. Oh man, <laughs> I think stupid. it'll trend. That's that stupid. is, I'm, but we're, we're gonna use it. Yeah, we are. Because I don't have the energy to come up with a really brilliant hashtag right now, Lisa. That, I just, I mean, I put you on the spot for that. I apologize. Type one, the improver. Their motivation is the need to be truly good and right. They believe in an ideal world and work hard to bring it into existence. Their intelligence center is the gut, which is anger. They avoid expressing their anger because they feel it would be inappropriate and instead turn it inward as an inner critic. Outwardly, they are diligent, intentional, and purposeful. They are thoughtful and considerate and want to make the world a better place. Type 2, the helper. Their motivation is the need to be loved and wanted, and they believe they are the most lovable when they are helping others. Their intelligence center is the heart, which is shame. They can infer others' needs and are very supportive, encouraging, and loving of others. They want others to feel loved and satisfied, though they can forget their own needs. At their worst, twos give love to get love in return. They tend to reflect the feelings of others with great compassion. Type 3, the performer. Their motivation is the need to find their worth and value in their productivity. Threes are ambitious and high achieving in a way that resonates with their cultural or familial upbringing. Their intelligence center is also the heart, which is shame. They sense emotional energy in a room and are able to adapt to meet others' expectations. They have a chameleon-like quality that makes it easy to connect with others, but hard to connect with self. They stay busy to avoid feeling their feelings. They are productive, engaging, and adaptable. Type four, the individualist. Their motivation is the need to find their true heart. They feel they are different from others and sometimes they embrace being different and sometimes they hate it. They long to be seen and loved for who they are, yet they are on a constant quest of getting even more in touch with themselves. They are idealists of themselves and the world and mourn the shortcomings of both. Their intelligence center is the heart, which is shame. They feel all of their feelings deeply and are on a lifelong quest to find meaning and significance, but they often miss the beauty that exists all around them. Type five, the observer. Their motivation is the need to be competent and self-sufficient. Their intelligence center is the head, which is fear and anxiety. They have a specific amount of energy for each day, so they go into conservation mode with their resources, be they energetic, emotional, or material, to avoid being depleted. 
They manage their fear or anxiety by collecting information they find calming. Fives are cerebral and thoughtful and can retain a lot of information, especially related to niche interests. Type six, the loyalist. Their motivation is the need to be supported and safe. Their intelligence center is also the head, which is fear and anxiety. They don't trust easily, but once they do, they are loyal and endearing. They are preppers. They create contingency plans for worst-case scenarios to manage their fear and anxiety. They make survival plans for themselves and their community. Sixes are friendly, analytical, and responsible. They make sure everything gets done. Type 7, the enthusiast. Their motivation is to retain their freedom and escape the discomfort of boredom. (laughs) Intelligence center is head, which is fear and anxiety. They are fun-loving adventure seekers who enjoy spreading laughter wherever they go. They avoid underlying fear and anxiety by moving forward and never getting trapped. They see life as an opportunity, but sometimes get lost in the planning and miss enjoying themselves in the moment. Hmm. They would like others to share in their happiness, but their independent streak will have them leaving others behind. They're versatile, optimistic, and idealistic. Type 8, the challenger. Their motivation is the need to protect themselves from being controlled by others. Their intelligence center is the gut, or anger. They are often mistaken for bullies, but they are fighting injustice and will stand up for the vulnerable. They seek truth and don't mind dismantling cultural norms to find it. Eights can embrace their anger and confrontation. They can come across as larger than life, intimidating, or intense, leaving others feeling bulldozed, and they often feel misunderstood. Type 9, the peacemaker. Their motivation is the need to be at peace internally and externally to maintain unity and connection. Their intelligence center is also the gut, or anger. Nines feel trapped between the demands, pressures, and attentions of the outside world and the thoughts, feelings, and opinions of their inside world. They're often unaware of their undercurrent of anger because their attention is always on maintaining peace. They have only so much energy each day and fear disruptions that will break the connections they have built with others. So that's it, Brad. That is all of the nine types. It's so a lot of did, types. Did, did you feel lightning strike? Did you feel you saw your darkness reflected to you? Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Ooh. I wasn't sure at first. You know, As you were going through them, I was going like, oh, yeah, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. Yeah, none of those really speak to me. But then you get to type seven, the enthusiast. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, yeah, that's me. I retain uh, freedom and escape discomfort or boredom. Like that's, that's what's important to me. I don't know if my intelligence center is the head, fear and anxiety. Uh, but you know, I, I certainly like to think of myself as a fun loving adventure seeker. And when things don't go my way, I tend to ditch and run, uh, <laughs> goodbye Barnes and Noble, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, I, I think the enthusiast certainly speaks uh, to me. How about, how about you? I kind of was feeling a little bit more nebulous. Mm. So like my first impulse would be to go with the performer since I was Mm -hmm. a vocal performance major in college. And I do kind of weigh myself, like value myself on what was my last project. Well, the name the performer certainly speaks to you. That's right. But what doesn't speak to me is that while I love to perform and I do 
sometimes do that chameleon-like thing where I just kind of read the temperature of the room and I'm like, which person am I today? Um, I'm not particularly ambitious. And I have, even though I love everything that I have done, I am not high achieving. I'm just, I, I'm average achieving at best. So I was like, okay, well, that's not exactly it. And then types four and five also spoke to me because the individualist is always on this search for self. And on our last episode, I did like a 15-minute TED Talk on every self-help book mm. and self-help guru uh-huh. that I've looked into like to find sure. me and to find who I am. And I also like the idea of being a idealist really speaks to me as well. Then there is type five. So of the two tests that I've taken, I have gotten type four and type five. And type five, the first thing I go like, well, that is the head intelligence center, like which is fear and anxiety. And I am a very anxious person. And I do feel like I'm one of those people who tries to conserve, like I'm, I'm introverted. So I'm often trying to like conserve my social energy and creative energy. I always feel like people are trying to take, take pieces of me away when I'm at my worst. And I do, and I am cerebral and thoughtful and I find it comforting to glean all of this self-help stuff to help calm me and go like, well, you know, you're normal. There are other people like you and you're not a weirdo. So, um, there is, so I was like, okay, well, I see myself in all three of these things. And then the book goes on to talk about a concept called wings. So what wings are is like, they will flank the, the two sides of your core motivation. So like if you're, uh, a six, it would be five and seven, right? So it's the two on the other side. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so the two, the, the two wings help balance what is your core motivation. So I think that I am a four. I think I am an individualist, but in order to balance that, my four-ness, sometimes I have to be a little bit of a performer and sometimes I have to be a little bit of an observer. Well, as you say about uh, Silver Surfer and his canon, he contains multitudes. We all contain multitudes. That's right. But according to the Enneagram, we only have one true hmm. core motivation that relates back to that sense of yearning. Well, right now I'm sticking with the enthusiast. I feel like that is my core. I'm sure I've got some wings. I'm not hundred percent on what those wings are yet. Me too. I, I found the wings a little bit unclear because I did see like little pieces of myself and, and the other ones as well. But I think that part of the aim of the Enneagram is that you can ultimately transcend your type so that you can always make the most right, most mindful, most appropriate decision. Like this is just like, okay, when you're on I- autopilot, who's driving? Who's driving your mind car? Mm-hmm. For me, I think it is the individualist. I know that Stephanie Baron Hall specifically said, 
not to type your partner, but I am curious. Like when you were looking into the nine types, did you see any of them that was like, oh, well, that's Lisa? Well, the performer stood out to me uh, as like, oh, that feels the most like Lisa. But like you said, I saw elements in a lot of these types of you. Um, and, and that's how it was for me as well. As I was going through the list, I'm like, okay, yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But then when I got to the enthusiast, I went, no, that's certainly mine. And I don't think I connected to one as strongly to you as I found one that connected to me as strongly, which I think is interesting. But then I got to reverse the question to you. Uh, did, did one jump out to you going like, yeah, that's definitely Brad. I think the enthusiast just at the title was like, yeah, that's Brad. You're a big time nerd. Our dork cave, our love nest is uh, physical manifestations of all of the wonderful little niche things that you are enthusiastic about. Yes. I think you do also have some performer qualities. And I do think that um, you are one of those people who who likes to to read the temperature of the room and kind of adjust your behavior. That's true. But that might just be like being a sensitive human being. So you are the head and I am the heart. That is interesting. Oh, I like that. Without spoiling anything, because we're definitely going to talk about this in our book discussion, but do you already have types in the back of your mind for Don Greenwood and Silver Surfer? Because I definitely do. You do. I was thinking about it as you were going through the list as well, and I'm less confident on Norrin and Don. I certainly found Eve immediately. Yeah. Uh, She is apparent. Uh, But uh, yeah, I I think I'm going to need to find them through the discussion. Sure, sure. So as we go into our session with Don Greenwood and Norrin Rad in Silver Surfer New Dawn, I feel like we should keep the nine types in the back of our minds as we go through these specific points in the book. So hopefully by the end of this first volume, we have a pretty good idea of what their core motivations truly are. Uh, I love this. I love this idea. But Lisa, before we can get into the book, we got to take a break for some words of affirmation. What, what? At some point, we're going to need like a new little theme song just for this segment. But here is the moment in the show where we say thank you to those that reached out, gave us some words of affirmation through iTunes, gave us some love. Gave us five stars. That's important. Gave us five stars. That's important. Uh, and, And this one comes from Gary Skirka. Thank you, Gary, for these five stars. Here is the review. Brad and Lisa's interaction is entertaining and informative, and the fun they have doing it shines through. Aw. Yeah. I really enjoyed each episode and interacting with them on social media. If you are looking for a podcast with two people with great chemistry, encyclopedia-like comic knowledge, and an all-around general good listen, start at episode one, and keep going. Yay! Yeah, Gary, thank you so much. Uh, You can find Gary on Twitter at Gary Skirka. That's S-K-I-R-K-A. And he's a great follow. Uh, Obviously, he's a a kind fellow to give us those five stars. We really appreciate it. As we always say, this does help our podcast. It means the world to us. This is not just simple begging from your average podcaster. We really, really, what's the word, Lisa? Lisa? Appreciate it. That's right. And it is Brad's birthday wish. It is his birthday on this day. Of <laughs> that recording. is right. That is right. So time to get into the comic Silver Surfer, Volume 7, Number 1, written by Dan Slott, illustrated by Mike Allred, colored by Laura Allred, and lettered by Clayton Cowles. Basic plot synopsis snatched right off of Lisa's favorite summary site, Goodreads. Huzzah! Here we go. 
The universe is big, bigger than you could ever imagine, and the Silver Surfer, lone sentinel of the skyways, is about to discover that the best way to see it is with someone else. Meet Don Greenwood, the Earth Girl who's challenged the Surfer to go beyond the boundaries of the known universe into the strange, the new, and the utterly fantastic. Who is the Never Queen? How is the universe's future tied into her very existence? And why is she trying to destroy the Surfer? And when the Surfer tries to return Don home, he gets swept into a strange battle against Shuma Gorath alongside Doctor Strange, the Hulk, and more. The problem is, to stop Shuma Gorath, Dawn will have to pay the price with her life. So, Lisa, how'd Goodreads do? A++. Yeah. They really nailed it this time. (laughs) Yeah, I was pretty pleased with that as well. I think that captures the book pretty darn well. Mm -hmm. We already briefly mentioned how this book starts with a young Don Greenwood wishing upon a star, a star that is the Silver Surfer, Norrin Rad. Uh, But we should really talk about the context of this opening scene. It's Dawn and her sister Eve standing on the porch with their dad. They're on the porch of the Greenwood Inn in Anchor Bay. And Eve just wants to get away. Yeah, yeah. So dad suggests that they make a wish on this falling star. And Eve wishes to go everywhere and see everything. And then Dawn is like, yeah, I I wish that too. She's a go along, get along kind of gal. And Eve is like, you can't wish for that. That's my wish. You have to come up with your own wish. And so Dawn is like, well, I wish that that star would stay up in the sky forever so that everyone could get a wish. And then Eve, of course, is like, that's stupid. That is a stupid wish. And But her dad says, like, most people wouldn't think to help that poor falling star. That was very kind of you. There's a reason why Dan Slott and Michael Allred start with this scene. It's very defining of Don Greenwood's yeah. character. She is a person of radical empathy, She sees a star, she sees that the star is falling, and she feels for that star. I think she's very much like a heart center type of person. I also think the fact that she wants to just do what everybody else wants her to do. Like, she feels like her sister wants her to have the same wish as her. Yeah, she wants people to be happy. Mm -hmm. Like, her goal here in this scene is to keep the smiles going and not to disappoint. Mm -hmm. I also think that that wish is a great wish, considering that star is the Silver Surfer coming to destroy this Earth. And Uh, I'm sure if everybody got their wish, their wish would be like, hey, let's not have a giant god monster eat our planet. (laughs) That's right, that's right. (laughs) And and it also does a a solid job of establishing Norrin's uh, in, internal conflict uh, and and sets up the narrative arc of I'm going to have to uh, redeem myself for this action right here because we do get some internal monologue through captions. And what we see is a surfer who is excited or maybe not excited, but thankful that he's found a planet that is going to satiate the needs of Galactus, you know, from every creature on this planet's surface down to its molten core All of it must burn. That's an interesting quote, because when we hear everything must burn, especially in reference to our own planet, like, hey, all my stuff is on that planet. (laughs) But um, we hear everything must burn, and it sounds like an angry thing. But I think for Norrin Rad, it's like a rationalization thing. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like, he is 
a herald because he was defending Zen law. He's like, don't destroy my planet. Take me instead. He's in the business of trading lives at this point in time. And how do you make up for actions like that, for that rationalization? You get into the business of saving billions of lives. And so when you turn the page and we jump ahead 12 years later, we see the Silver Surfer, Norrin Rad, restoring energy to the sun around the planet of Brundlebus. And he's saving one planet. So he's got to he's got to redeem himself by saving one planet at a time. One uh, 8 billion collection at a time. I don't think that he's doing that life math though because they immediately show this profound gratitude and they start building these enormous to them because they're it's a teeny tiny planet with teeny tiny people, but they begin building these enormous monuments to him. And he goes like, no, don't you dare build monuments to me. I do not deserve praise. Right. He doesn't want to become an idol. He, you know, he, 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 he certainly doesn't want that, but I think he is doing the math of, I have caused the death of billions and I need to save billions in return. But he also says there is no absolution. Mm, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think that- He sees himself as unredeemable. Right. And um, unredeemable, that can be translated to shame. And shame is from the intelligent center of the heart. But I think that he also carries a lot of anger for like to his past self, he definitely has that inner critic thing going on of going like, uh, you know, I've done these terrible things. I'm a terrible person. Self-loathing. Right. So I, I do think also he has, he could go towards more towards the gut intelligence center with this underlying anger and this super um, loud inner critic that he feels like he cannot express at the same time, because of all the actions he's done since being the Herald of Galactus, he's starting to be recognized as a champion, right? And after he saves the people of Brundlebus, he goes Brundlebus to- 3. Not yeah. just any Brundlebus. Yes, Brundlebus 3. He is recognized by a couple of drones that approach him, that summon him and say, we need a champion. We need you to come to the Empiricon and help us out. And because he's a good dude and he's trying to do good things, he- follows them, and he meets the incredulous Zed. I love the incredulous Zed. Great name, super duplicitous guy. Yes. And so he apologizes. Oh, so he leads them to the Apericon, and then there are these gatekeepers that attack, and Silver Surfer's feelings are hurt. He's yeah, like, yeah. I was invited here as a champion, and now I'm getting attacked? Like, what is this? And the incredulous Zed is like, well, it's like... You are a herald, and heralds can be a, a pretty touchy subject, yeah. you know, in the universe for uh, leading Galactus around. You can see that this is, uh, you know, 12 years after, still a super sore spot for the Silver Surfer. He's like, hey, I followed you here so I could help. He's clearly a sensitive guy. Yeah. I, I also just want to point out that the Empiricon is crazy cool looking. Oh, yeah. And it's the first big splash page of the series where Michael Allred gets to let loose and, and, and develop this insane city that 
defies uh, physics and geometry. And, and you see the little surfer also just completely amazed and awestruck at the bottom corner. It's a fabulous splash page. And, and it's why thinking, you get Michael Allred on this book. Oh, yeah. And the, and the colors also. Yeah, Laura, Laura Allred. Allred. So good. What that tiny surfer is thinking in the bottom right-hand corner of this fantastical planet is how has the entire universe conspired to keep this place Mm -hmm, from me? mm -hmm. And I feel like he, in that moment, he's feeling like I have made up no ground in other people's eyes. I love on the reread noticing that when you turn the page uh, after this amazing, astonishing splash page, you actually get another signature storytelling technique that you don't notice on your first go around. Mm. But you get this two-page spread where the top half of the page is what's going on in Don's world and the bottom half of the page is what's going on in Norrin's world. Norrin's making his way through the Empiricon and Don is giving a little tour of her inn to some new guests. Yeah, And I like the contrast of Dawn being completely in her power. She is in her comfortable, happy place, giving this tour to these international guests to the Greenwood Inn. And she is, she and her dad have a little shtick. Yeah, it's so adorable. And it's so adorable. And she's so proud. She gets to brag about the celebrity guests that have come to the Greenwood Inn, including... Norval Rappaport. Uh, a name that no one will recognize, uh, but will become extremely important as we go on through this series. Absolutely. And then on the bottom half, we have Silver Surfer being completely gobsmacked, walking around this place where, like, he's like, I have the power cosmic. I'm supposed, I I am accustomed to being aware of everything, and he's getting this tour from the incredulous Zed of this amazing place. Yeah, he's the tourist. Yeah. The last panel for each of these two characters at the end of this two-story spread is all of these guests shooting questions at Don Greenwood, like, what's the thread count of the sheets? Oh, it's 450? (laughs) What, like, where will my, my... you know, window be looking, oh, don't worry, you'll see the sunrise. Like, she's got all of the answers. And then in the bottom, we have Silver Surfer going like, everybody kept the secret from me. And the incredulous Zed's response is, fear of the heralds is the one thing that unites all races. Like, that is a tremendous gut punch to him. Yeah, of course, yeah. Heartbreaking. So we turn the page, and then we have the incredulous Zed putting Silver Surfer into the motivator. Oh, yeah. And when I saw that word, I was like, Enneagram, coordinate motivation. Oh, yeah. This is me giving myself That's snaps. That's cool. Yeah, that, like, you're so right. Interesting. <laughs> so he puts Silver Surfer into the motivator, and we get this beautiful piece of art of the Silver Surfer having his history, his entire history, reflected on his person, yeah. on his silverness. It's the panel of the issue, without a doubt. And maybe, maybe the panel of the volume. We, of course, see him with Galactus. We have a, an image of Galactus in, imbuing him with the power cosmic. We have an image, a classic image of him fighting Galactus. And then on one arm, we see him with Shala Ball. Yeah. And the other arm, we see him with Alicia Masters. And he's like, he's like going like, what is this? And the Incredulous says like, is like, 
okay, we have you as our champion. Now we need to find the incentive. So they're looking for what could possibly be his core motivation. The other side of this two pages, we see um, Don Greenwood looking at all of the pictures of her sister Eve and all of her travels. And uh, she's thinking about something that Eve said to her about like waking up and looking at the same view every day and yuck, who could really do that? And then she is covered in this kind of yellow spotty light. And then she pops into what looks like a bunch of comic book panels. But we find out that these are the cells of the motivators. And she's now imprisoned and, and surrounded by all of these fantastical aliens. Aliens Qu- yeah. to her. Quick spoiler for Cabin in the Woods, the film. But it looks like the jail cell of all the creatures yeah. in that movie. yeah. So the surfer doesn't know what's going on. He's confused. What just happened? And Zed tells him, look, uh, the Never Queen's coming. She's going to destroy us all. We need you to fight the Never Queen. We've had a lot of champions attempt this in the past. Uh, Obviously, they didn't win. Uh, But to make sure that you fight your darndest, we've kidnapped somebody who means everything to you. And if you don't do what we say, uh, bad things are going to happen to the most precious person in your life. And surfer's like, who is that? Who'd you get? Shalabal, Alicia Masters. We saw their reflections on his body. It must be one of them. But no, we know it's Don Greenwood. And when he sees Don Greenwood, he's, he's like, like, "Who the f is that?" Yeah. And as readers, we're, we agree. Like, why? Why is Don Greenwood the most precious creature in the universe to the Silver Surfer? We've never seen her before. But the motivator doesn't just look at your past; it also looks at your future. And I do think that's a bone of contention for long-term Silver Surfer fans who are like, why can't you just deal with the canon? Why can't it be Shalabal? It's always been Shalabal. It's always been Alicia Masters or any number of other characters. Why can't we use those? Why create a new character that's the most meaningful character of the Silver Surfer? Because characters have to grow. Like, characters have to change and have new influences. Otherwise, it's a dead story. Well, and we need... Uh, to contribute to the mythology mm. of these characters. And Don Greenwood is a tremendous contribution. And as what you'll see over the course of this series is you start to believe and agree with the motivator in this moment. Yes, guess what, guys? Don Greenwood is the most important character to the Silver Surfer. Yeah. I also like the fact that it's, like, circular, Like, he would have never met Don Greenwood if it wasn't the motivator. Like, he wouldn't be curious about Don Greenwood if it wasn't the motivator. So, like, is it just the suggestion that she's important that makes her important? Or is she actually important? It's, it's, like, it could go either way. And I, and I think it all relates to how, um, the motivator is powered, we find out, by the heart of the Never Queen. And so, like... The Never Queen is just like this um, possibility motivator and generator that that looks at every possible outcome of every possible situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think at the end of the day, when I was first reading this, I was one of those guys who was like, I don't know about this ladybug dress person. Um, but it's a story that walks the walk and doesn't just talk the talk. And when you're reading comics in monthlies, it's important that you don't just throw down the first issue. If Now, you can't always do that because comics are expensive and you can't 
continue to buy issue after issue if you're not enjoying it. So I understand if people did go like, ah, this is not for me, but I'm so glad that I continued because this is one of those rare instances where the story proves itself, mm. where you're you're questioning at the beginning and they answer it properly at the end and it's satisfying. Yeah. And you do see almost immediately that Don Greenwood is very capable in this extraordinary situation. Uh, to me, this goes like, this is the power of having worked customer service. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where, like, you know, she just goes completely into <laughs> concierge mode. Yes. She's introducing herself around. Nice to meet you, Mr. Plorp. Battleon, uh, father of Battlejack, uh, it's so great to meet you. Um, and she's getting to know everybody and making everybody around her comfortable. Meanwhile, the Silver Surfer is with the Never Queen, and the Never Queen predicts, like, this battle is not going to end well for you, Silver Surfer. And so he zaps the little drones so that he and the Never Queen can have this private conversation. And um, he finds out that they've got her heart and then she zaps him. And in that moment, he is able to see all of the infinite so outcomes good. of his life all at once. I said that that other panel was the panel of the, of the volume. No, this is the panel of the volume. This is the page of the volume. I like that these two instances are mirrors yes. of each other. So like when he is remembering all of experiencing all of his past it's reflected on his body like it's the his past that made him who he is yeah. but then when you see his future all of space is filled with his future and it's all outside of yeah. him yeah and you get like the defenders are there uh like there's the fantastic four are there uh the fantastic five are there mm -hmm. you know it's 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 a wild page and you get to see, like, well, he's going to have a child with Don, maybe? He could, yeah. He, you know, he's he's going to grow old with this person? She's going, they're going to have arguments where she's crying and hitting him, saying, like, I hate you. You're going to experience it all, and it brings tears to Norrin's face. Yeah. This apparently was the experience that had killed all of the other champions. They had seen all of their possible futures, and it destroyed them. But the Never Queen ceases this onslaught and he, she tells him that he was spared because of the Earth Girl's wish. Uh, right, from the beginning. From the beginning of the story. So when she had wished upon that star that was the Silver Surfer, her wish was heard and enacted upon by the Never Queen. And now, back on the Impericon, Dawn has been in the presence of the Never Queen's heart and changed what that initial wish was. And now the Never Queen is bringing that wish into fruition. And she says to the Silver Surfer, like, wishes are powerful things. Like, you have to be careful when you make a wish because that wish could become your future. And Silver Surfer is like, that's nonsense. Like, wishes are just words. And she says, says the astronomer from Zen La who wished to travel the stars. So that wish that he made before he was imbued with the power cosmic is the thing that destroyed him <laughs> and is the reason why he has all of this shame and all of this um, 
anger in his heart. So when when she's talking about wishes and the power of wishes, is it metaphorical? Because isn't a wish like, don't you manifest your wishes? Didn't he manifest that wish? He just didn't know how he was going to manifest that wish into see the stars, right? I mean, if you're talking about like my personal view on wishes, I do think like. But I'm talking about this. Do you think they're talking literally that in this story, the wish is a magical thing? Yeah, I think so. I think it speaks to the theme that you you have to be careful with what you send out into the universe because odds are you're going to have to answer for it. Mm, yeah. So you might as well send out kindness. Yeah, I like that. You I shouldn't like that. send out anger and shame and ill ill feelings. Back to Don Greenwood leading this jailbreak, the way she's interacting with all these escapees is similar to the way she was interacting with all the tourists, right? She can communicate with them exceptionally. She's so good at her job. Yeah, she's clearly going like, what is everybody's needs? How can I facilitate meeting these needs? She doesn't seem to care about herself one iota. Yeah. She immediately starts referring to this group of, you know, different species as, oh, these are my friends. When she introduces them to Silver Surfer, she's like, these are my friends, Mr. Migdala. Don't be fooled by his enormous brain. He's quite stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think this speaks to her core motivation that when she's up against the wall, what she thinks about is how can I help? I think that she is a number two, big time. I think she is a helper. This is also the point in the story where uh, the board, uh, which will become known as Toomey, becomes a real character. uh, Because as the board, you know, Surfer sends the board to help Don. And the board passes by Don and Don sees her reflection in it. But her reflection isn't a reflection. It's, It's her appearance, but it behaves... Uh, on its own. Like a magic mirror. Like a magic mirror. Like a magic mirror, which is a throwback to the beginning of this issue with her and her sister. Uh, and, and so that's an element that surprised me upon first reading. Uh, but on reread, oh my gosh, it's so exciting to get to Toomey. Yeah. Ooh, what do you think that his type would be? Oh man, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I hadn't even considered that, Lisa. Me neither. Probably... He's a six, maybe the loyalist. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, the loyalist. Making survival plans friendly, responsible. I think that's Toomey. Yeah, it's Toomey for sure. Before issue number two finishes, we finally get their meet cute. It's so good. Silver Surfer gets the psychic message that Toomey has already found Don Greenwood. And he's like, what are the odds of that? This enormous planet. And... He begins to, he comes to her, begins to introduce himself. I'm Norrin Rad, and I'm here to rescue. And she interrupts him and says, nice to meet you, Norrin. Don't worry, I'm Don Greenwood, and I'm going to save you. I then, love that panel. And then he goes, what? <laughs> End of issue. Perfect. Yeah. The next issue actually opens up with another couple. We have the Never Queen making out with her dude, Eternity. Yes. And Eternity is basically the physical manifestation of everything. He's a cosmic entity, a huge character within the Marvel Universe, one of my favorites. And what we see is the two of them coming together in all white, and that all white representing neither here nor there, a place out of space and time. And as they are connecting, we see all these uh, astonishing events happening throughout the cosmos and happening throughout all of time. We see like uh, on Coltrane 6, a perfect song was played. 
on a planet named Prime, an unclimbable summit was conquered. And in the endless skyways of space, the Silver Surfer soared on. And on Earth, Don Greenwood uh, painted a, a gnome, and she painted the gnome's hat the wrong color. I love that, just underscoring her ordinariness in comparison that everything that everything that is within eternity. I also like the fact that eternity's paramour is the never queen. The idea of everything that is being deeply attracted to everything that could be. Oh, that's such an excellent point. I had not thought about that. Could we cover them as a couple on this podcast? Uh, I mean, I think they're only a couple within these issues. So that means we would have to cover this storyline again if we were to do that. Oh, well, I wouldn't mind that. (laughs) Yeah, I know that's true. Uh, But this scene is also really important for a couple story arcs in the near future and ties into Secret Wars in a really cool and fun way. Yeah, it does. Their beautiful, serene moment is interrupted by the incredulous Zed who tears through space and time using the edge of reality and he's there to do what the surfer could not and kill the Never Queen. Then we pick back up where we left off with Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood and Silver Surfer is like, um, I'm pretty sure I'm here to save you. And she's like, uh, I've kind of already saved myself. Is that okay? I love that response. <laughs> and it turns out she's done half of the Silver Surfer's work for him. Yeah, she has. Cause he's like, well, you know, we have to find the heart now. And she's like, oh, well the heart is literally just right over there. And he's like, okay, well you have to come with me now cause I need to rescue you and get the heart back to the Never Queen. And Don Greenwood is just like, no, I don't know who you are. I've already made a commitment to my friends over here. We've known each other for an afternoon and it's been a really tense time and we're very close. And Silver Surfer's like, don't worry about them. They're not important. And then we get Don Greenwood. This is a direct quote that I love. Everyone's important. Where I think that Silver Surfer, even though he feels tremendous guilt. And we see later when he finally um, meets up with the incredulous Zed and battles with him, he does have immense respect for every individual life. But I still think that he looks at life kind of statistically. I mean, I think he's very Spock-like, right? The needs of the many kind of thing. Mm. Or maybe not. Maybe it's more like um, uh, the needs of what I signed up for. (laughs) I do think that he is prioritizing. I don't think he's necessarily saying, like, they might as well die because you are my, like, you are who is important. I think he's going like, I have my mission and... Uh, I really can't handle you adding more stuff yeah, to I think my docket that. right I now. I think it's that. That's 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 right. Um, what we didn't cover is Battleon and Battlejack, but when the Silver Surfer shows up, he's wearing Battlejack's armor, and Battleon is like, "Why are you wearing my son's armor? You clearly have killed my son." And that's the moment Silver Surfer has to break it to all of Don Greenwood's friends, like. Um, turns out the reason you guys were captured was because these people who loved you were put in this impossible situation and they're now dead. Yeah, super sad. So, um, Don Greenwood goes like all of these, like everybody in this group has lost their hero. That means my dad is dead. And, uh, and Silver Surfer goes like, "Actually." actually, it turns out. Uh, I'm your hero. And she, like he was, very confused by this. She's like, who the F are you? (laughs) 
And his answer to that is of why he is her hero is, well, you're an innocent and I would fight for any innocent. So that's how he's rationalized it for mm, himself. Yeah. He's literally seen every possible future. And it's not like he'd make a baby with any innocent. But I think that that is him kind of trying to analyze the information that he's given and fit it into yeah, his Yeah, well, he view. doesn't have the whole scope. He doesn't know what we know. Which must be weird for him, because he's a guy who's used to knowing all of the things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the next little moment I want to highlight is the first time that Don Greenwood gets onto Silver Surfer's board, because she's going to spend uh, a lot of time adorable. with Toomey. Of course, Silver Surfer calls to me, my board. They get on... And uh, she's holding the Never Queen's heart, which at the moment is like in the shape of a monkey. And his explanation of that is like, your limited human senses can't handle everything that the Never Queen's heart is. And so that's that's why you're holding a monkey. And Silver Surfer is giving her that explanation as he's zooming off into space. And he notices like, man, this earth girl hasn't spoken in a while. Like that's weird. <laughs> and he realizes that she's holding her breath and she, and he's like, why are you holding your breath? She's like, I'm in space. And he's like, uh, like, and then she's like, how can I breathe in space? And he's like, I possess the power cosmic. And, um, and then why am I not freezing in space? And he's like the power cosmic. And her response is that's very convenient. It is. Hashtag all comics. <laughs> uh, hashtag all storytelling, Lisa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but th- th- what, what happens next is that it's on Dawn to return the heart to the Never Queen while the Silver Surfer battles it out with the incredulous Zed. And she is, ex- like, the the weight of this responsibility is, like, terrifying to her. But then, because she put she built up all of that good grace with all of these escapees, her friends, they show up to give them a little bit of backup. And if Don Greenwood is, in fact, a type two, a helper, receiving this support from them is going to feel like love to her. And it's and it gives her the strength to go through this thing that is unlike anything she's ever done before. Yeah, it gives her the courage to continue. Right. And as she approaches the Never Queen and she's bringing the monkey, the heart to her chest, uh, she's encountered with a series of images and the monkey is winding down. The Never Queen is dying. Uh, And in the black hole of her heart, we see a very young Dawn and a very young Eve arguing about the monkey. Eve doesn't understand the monkey. It only does one thing. What what good is that? Uh, we then see an image of Eve mocking Dawn, uh, building a sand castle, not at all impressed with her skills. And then we see Eve leaving the house for the first time and Dawn stuck behind the gate of the, of the inn. And, you know, Eve's like, you can come with me. And Dawn doesn't. And then all of a sudden that gate become, or that heart becomes the gate. And the Never Queen's like, you have to pick your future. And if the heart becomes the gate, well, what does that mean? Don is confused by that. And later on towards the end of the issue, Never Queen and Don are talking once again. And Never Queen says like, well, look, that gate, that could be an open gate. That can be a closed gate. What side of the gate are you on? You you know, that's the future you're choosing. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's like... I look at those scenes between Dawn and Eve and I go like Eve is mean. Yeah. Like Dawn is happy where she is. She is 
she is so illuminated by working next to her dad. We've seen her at the Greenwood Inn being her best self. But I do think that perhaps because she feels like she's helping her dad and her dad is a person that needs help, that she deep down inside maybe feels like she doesn't have options. So maybe like the answer isn't necessarily for Don Greenwood to uh, be like Eve and travel the world and help the uh, family business in that fashion. But maybe it's just feeling like she has options. Like that's what that's what's going to open up her future is just feeling like there are there is more that is up to her that she thinks. I think in our culture we tend to uh, discount contentment mm-hmm. as a negative. You know, like Eve represents what 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 culture tells us. You know, go out there and make your mark. And Don is, you know, she's making her mark where she is. She's living in the moment. She's really enjoying where she is. She's very proud of her family. She's very proud of what her dad has established. And, uh, you know, I think culturally that's something that um, we tend to look down upon. Yeah. I like that the future that she chooses is not a future of, okay, well, now I ha- it's my time to go make my mark on the universe. Like, the gift that the Never Queen is giving her is like, your future is a future with options. And you are capable of making your way on either side of this gate. Mm, yeah. No judgment either way. Yeah, yeah. Well, because ultimately, how, you know, what Don does, it, it's not an either or situation. You know, there's not a good or a bad here. Oh, we tend to think in good or bad terms, but that's just not life. You know, you're on a journey, you're born, you die. That's that's guaranteed, but possibilities are endless. You can do anything and you could be happy in your place and then you can move on and then you can come back. And know? everything that you do is something of value. Yes. What I love about, like, cause it's easy to go like, uh, Don Greenwood is the nice sister. And Eve is the kind of mean sister. But, like, Eve brings value to the home, but to the Greenwood Inn, by bringing worldliness to the inn. Now, what Don Greenwood is doing is bringing the virtues and the values that she's learned in the Greenwood Inn, and she's bringing that out into the universe. Yeah, and I think it's only natural with siblings, uh, speaking as somebody who has none, (laughs) that, that, you know, the action I'm doing is the right action and the action you're doing is not the right action. I'm right. You're wrong. Like that's just a, that's, that's sibling bickering. Right, Lisa? Yeah, that's right. Though it is true in my family that I am the good sister and Teresa is the bad sister. As your husband, I'm inclined to agree. (laughs) I'm just being a silly goose. That's not true. What is true is that the confrontation between the incredulous Zed and the silver surfer at the climax is incredibly epic. Ooh, it gets real. It gets so real. Uh, The incredulous Zed uh, has the gall to say this to the surfer in their battle. Your power cosmic is useless against me, and without it, what are you? A former slave, a failed herald, a loser who was trapped for years on a backwater planet. Without your powers, you're nothing more than a bald-headed fool. And Norrin's response? No, I'm Norrin Rad, the man who sacrificed all, the slave who defied his master, and my time on Earth made me strong and taught me... There are things that even a bald-headed fool can do. 
I love that. I, yes. I mean, that's the power of the stories you tell yourself. Shout out to Brene Brown, former love guru of this podcast. Like, and I don't think that that is the story that Norrin Rad tells tells himself when he is alone. I think when he is alone, he does tell himself what. Yeah, Zed he, is saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that echoes his thoughts. Zed mm-hmm. is echoing his thoughts. But when he's confronted with them, no way. I'm not going to allow that to be. I love that. And I love the fact that he shows a little bit of, like, earth pride <laughs> yeah, yeah. by doing this move. Yeah, the nyuck, nyuck, the yeah, three stooges. That's the, yeah. I, why did I blank at the three stooges? I don't know. I'm going to get my earth girl card revoked. Don't, don't make me do it. But, like... I think that that moment is an interesting contrast to the next issue where Don Greenwood brings him back to Earth and he's literally like crawling out of his silver, like uncomfortable to be back on that planet. Because of that nyuk nyuk, the Silver Surfer does defeat the incredulous Zed. Don Greenwood does restore the heart to the Never Queen and everything is back in its place. And it's time for Don Greenwood to say goodbye to the friends that she's made in outer space and for her champion, the Silver Surfer, to take her home. And as uh, and this is actually the moment where she calls the board to me yeah. for the first time. And Silver Surfer's like, Who, who's who, to me? Who's to me? You <laughs> named my board? That's weird. And she's like, no, you named your board. You said to me, my board. <laughs> so cute. Um, but... As they zoom back earthward, uh, the Never Queen and Eternity close out this issue. And Eternity says, they confound me. Back in the moment when anything could happen, neither rose to their potential, yet to Today, they achieved great things. How can that be? And the Never Queen replies, that was before. But now you'll see, now that they're together, every moment is a moment when anything can happen. So I good. love that. So I like this idea of finding a person who open a, opens up possibilities uh, for adventures, but also for growth. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the growth for both of them, not just Norrin, but also for Don. They're better than the sum of their parts. Yeah. And that's only the ending of issue three. We still have two more issues to go. And then like a little mini thing. Yeah, and then the Marvel Now point one. We are not skipping anything. No, Lisa, don't worry. (laughs) We're going long this episode, but we knew we were going to. It's the big 5-0. Let us have our day. Uh, On the fourth issue, uh, Norn and Don are approaching Earth. And the closer they get, Norn is getting a little uh, antsy. He's being a little mean. He's being a little rude. He's being a little... Snippy. He's being snippy about Earth. And Don Greenwood is like, well, why don't you just judge the whole planet while you're at it? And he goes like, well, I have. And she's like, what? (laughs) And he's like, I've judged your whole world. And so she was like, so how'd we do? And he's like, you passed. And she's like, okay. And as they get closer, he keeps on going like, you're home now. And she's like, well, technically... This is, we're not home. You're going to love, we're almost home and you're going to love my home. It's great. And so she does this cute little click of her heels, goes like, there's no place like home. And then she starts to uh, earth explain to him what Wizard of Oz is. And he's like, I know the Wizard of Oz. I've seen it literally a billion times. And I know all of your pop culture. Bruce Willis is a ghost. Vader was Luke's father. Rosebud is a sled. I've seen everything that your planet has to offer. Everything. And she's like, okay. 
Oh, and he mentions that he was a prisoner. That's why he knows everything. And so she asks him, like, how were you a prisoner? And he's like, I don't really want to talk about it. And she pushes him on it, and he goes like, well, there was a great barrier put around the earth that contained me and held me in. And every time I approach that barrier, I feel I feel where it was. So she now recognizes his trauma, that this defensiveness comes from this time where he felt trapped. And she takes his hand and they squeeze hands as he passes, as they pass through where the barrier was. So even in this moment, like they're there for each other. Yeah, Lisa, but even after that sweet moment, you know, Norrin doesn't become A-OK. You know, they get to Anchor Bay, they go down to the inn, and he's still um, a little standoffish. She's irritated that he is not appropriately impressed by the inn. You know, she wants him to show some excitement for her home, and it's just not there for him. Now, he is curious that things seem off, uh, and we know that Doctor Strange and the Hulk have already been introduced into this plot as well, and there's something weird mystically going on, and he's curious about that, but he has no interest in Don's family, Eve, the dad, the the, the, the tourists. Um, and and uh, Don Greenwood is bucking back a little bit. He's like, I guess I have to stay until I figure out what this weird thing is, and she's like, okay, well, don't knock yourself out or anything. Yeah, she's ready for him to go now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and, and he does stay for dinner and they go to have the bisque, mm-hmm. right? But Norrin's not eating because uh, the power cosmic. He doesn't pee, he doesn't eat, he's got the power cosmic, he doesn't need to. Uh, but Don's like, you're going to eat the bisque. Uh, you need to eat the bisque. We've made the bisque for you. You've got to partake in this. It's part of the ritual. And so he does silver down and starts to have some soup. Now that soup also tries to attack him. Again, there's mystical stuff happening in there. There's a little hand that comes out at his face. And I think this is interesting because, you know, after going through the Impericon battle, uh, you're feeling like, okay, these people belong together. They're destined together. And to introduce this little bit of tension, this little bit of aggro between them uh, is is surprising and a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I I find Don Greenwood really judgy in this moment because the way that she asks... Norrin to eat the soup is she's like, you're going to have to power down, silver down and eat like a normal person. Yeah, yeah. Where like I go like I would never ask She-Hulk to go back to her non-green form. Like I think and then when he does power down, silver down, she goes like, you should silver down more often. You have very handsome eyes. And like I think that I mean, I think that's supposed to be like this sweet moment, um, but, but it, I do, it doesn't, it, it doesn't come across co- that way. Cool. It's, it's just not, not cool. cool. <laughs> but like we know that his silver is not him. Like it's a sheath. So this is a really important moment where he is letting down his defenses on Earth. And it does lead to him inadvertently putting everybody in a little bit of danger that it takes Don Greenwood to get everybody out of. Because after eating all of this heavy, mm. I'm sure cream-based seafood bisque, he gets all logy. 
Yeah, I think what's important about these two issues coming off of the first three issues is that they show that the relationship between Don and Norn is going to take work and is a journey. And it's not like after that third issue, they're together forever. They're still exploring and understanding who the other is. I also think it's important to show that they are a team. Like, Silver Surfer doesn't have all of the answers. Silver Surfer cannot resolve the situation that they get into because she is the only right. person on planet earth that has not fallen asleep because she, I, I guess her system is accustomed to cream based bis. Yeah. <laughs> so she doesn't fall right to sleep. Yeah. And that night when the surfer supposedly wakes up because Toomey comes tap, tap, tapping on his shoulder and the two of them fly off into the atmosphere, uh, we see, Norin's true nightmare. He doesn't realize it, but he's trapped in a nightmare. And what his ultimate fear is, is being a prisoner of Earth once again. The barrier is back and he can't escape. And then the next issue, we go into a series of nightmares where we see what everyone's worst fear is. Eve, she's trapped. She's her sister. She's turning into her sister. That's her ultimate fear. Her father is losing everyone. Yep. That's his ultimate fear. And as we go deeper into Silver Surfer's dream world, we see that his ultimate fear on after being trapped on Earth again is that he is Galactus and he is going to devour Zen Law. Yeah, thankfully, uh, Doctor Strange and the Incredible Hulk show up to help the Surfer navigate through the nightmare world. But it turns out that this is an opportunity for Don Greenwood to be the hero. Because when they show up, they assume, oh, Silver Surfer's here. He's got this under control. But he does nope. not. He is also trapped in his nightmare world. So it's up to Don Greenwood to uh, encounter the Lord of Nightmares and wake him up to undo whatever weird lunar spell magic reasons. Yeah, and Doctor Strange actually gives Don the Eye of Agamotto. And what I love about that is, you know, Incredible Hulk come in, uh, Doctor Strange come in, they're the defenders, they were a team with Silver Surfer. And this is kind of a moment where the old guard allow the new guard into the Marvel universe. Like by giving Don the eye of Agamotto, it is a passing of the baton in a way. Oh, I love that. I love that. I also like the fact that because she has that eye that shows her the truth in all things, she gets to cut past all of Silver Surfer's defensiveness mm. because she is like just dozing, not not fully asleep in bed, and she wakes up to her her heart place, her home crumbling around her, and she goes to surfer. She she goes like, well, she's wearing the eye of Agamotto, and she goes like, this is your fault. Like this weird stuff didn't happen until you came into my life, and Silver Surfer's knee jerk response is. You can't blame me for this. Like, this is beyond, like, this is not my fault. But because she's wearing the eye of Agamotto, I say Agamotto. Agamotto? Uh, who knows? She sees past his defensiveness and hears what he means to say, which is, I am so sorry. You're correct. Even, and it hurts me to recognize that you're correct, that I've brought this chaos into your life. And I think that, opens her up again to going like, there's more to this guy than I'm your champion. Please call me that, please. Yeah. So, well, now we get to go into the nightmares and really root around. I, 
I love this issue for the, the sake of relating it back to the Enneagram because the Enneagram is all about your core motivation being connected to your subconscious. And we don't, we sometimes can't recognize our core motivations because we hide them from ourselves and our dream realm is the realm of the subconscious. So I think this is a great opportunity to type all of these characters oh, that cool. Don Greenwood is encountering. All right, let me, let me get my sheet of paper with all the types. Yeah. So let's start with Eve's nightmare. So Don and Norrin enter Eve's room and we see her changing linens. And as she's changing the linens, she starts transforming into Dawn. Yep. And Dawn, I think this is very big of Dawn, because I would have been like, F you, Eve. My life is great. Why are you so afraid of being me? But Dawn goes like, I am so sorry. So Eve's nightmare is to be trapped in one place. So can, what can, do you... I, I mean, I know this one. Go like, for Like, this it. is easy. Let me type her. Let me type her. Uh, Eve is... is she, she's like me. She's an enthusiast. Uh, you know, she wants to escape pain and boredom. That's mm -hmm. what she wants. That's 100%. What she, that's her motivation. And we also see her making jokes and stuff. So she does like, and she wants this for her sister. She wants her sister to have Experience an exciting her. life yeah. like her. Good one. The next nightmare is Reg. And that's where we see him trying to like build uh, sandcastles of his family. And the ocean comes in and keeps erasing his family. And so uh, I'm, well, what do you think the type is, Lisa? Because I, I don't, I'm not as confident with uh, Reg. I think he is a type nine, which is a peacemaker. And the reason is like, he's afraid of losing his family members. And the greatest fear of the type nine is to lose their connection that they've built with others. And so he's in conflict because he wants to be a good parent. He wants his daughters to have their own dream. He wants his kids to be happy. Exactly. But at the same time, he wants to keep them at home. Well, and... Also, because he has two kids who are sort of poor, polar opposites, his job through his entire life as a dad has been to maintain the balance between those two. To, to hey, quit fighting with your sister, you know? like He you know. maintained the peace of the household. Yeah. He also uh, has lost his wife. We don't know at this point how, but I think that there is an underlying anger that he has for uh, people leaving him. So I, I think that he's a nine. And so the next nightmare belongs to Norrin's. And this is where we see him becoming Galactus, becoming the destroyer. So like Norrin, I kind of feel him in a couple of different places because his first dream was to be trapped on earth, which I go like, okay, well that's kind of an enthusiast thing, that idea of of the fear of being trapped. But I think he's a type one, which is the improver, which is the need to be truly good and right. And the belief in an ideal world and the working to bring it into existence. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that works. My initial type of Norrens was the challenger because eights are motivated by the need to protect themselves from being controlled by others and that they also get a reputation for being bullies, but this couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, he's sometimes seen as a bully. He's seen as the herald. He's something to be feared. And he also does feel misunderstood, which is a huge challenger thing. What makes me lean improver over challenger is that challengers are bullies because they're fighting for truth. 
And I think that at this point in his herodom, I think he is prioritizing goodness over truth. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I think you won me over when you were talking about type one. I, it does it does work for me. Also, it works for me because I feel like he does have type nine and type two, which is what I think Don Greenwood is, as his wings. I think that sometimes he is the peacemaker and sometimes he is the helper, but I think his core motivation is to bring an ideal world into existence and he is outwardly diligent, intentional, purposeful. So I, I, I think, I think, he is a type one. We don't get a full nightmare of Dawn's, but she does get a little sleepy and she dozes for a little bit. And in her dream, we see her friends from uh, the Impericon, all the people that she rescued from the jail, come to visit her in a starship. Yeah, and so I think this is like the beginning of a dream that could become a nightmare. But I think this relates back to her being a type two because a type two's motivation, the helper is to be loved yeah. and wanted. Yeah. So she wants all of those beautiful friends she made up on the Impericon to be thinking about her. And so if she had fallen into a, a nightmare state, those friends probably would have turned against her in some way. Yeah. After Dawn successfully leads the team through their nightmares, she gets face to face, literally, with Nightmare. She tries to wake him up with a little smoocheroonie. It could be a Sleeping Beauty situation. Who knows? It's not, though. <laughs> uh, and ultimately, it's the surfer who finds a way to wake up Nightmare. And he sends Toomey up into dream space and reflects the sun off of the board. And the, the light hits Nightmare's eyes and he wakes up and... Anchor Bay is restored to normal. You know what, though? We did not talk about Doctor Strange's nightmare. Oh. And if you go back to the copy of uh, that Goodreads provided, and they were talking about Shumagarath, Shumagarath, well, that was Doctor Strange's nightmare, which wasn't actually the ultimate threat of the story. Oh, yeah, that's true. That big squiddy thing yeah. is Shumagarath, right? So that's that's interesting. That's hilarious. So, I mean, I think his core motivation is not to be squished by a giant squid, yeah. which is, I don't know what type that is. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what type, like, so what's Hulk's, Bruce Banner's nightmare, being stuck with Doctor Strange? No, it's being stuck with Bruce Banner, Lisa. Oh. That's got to be his nightmare, the puny banner. I would have loved to see his nightmare manifested. You should read Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk because that's where it's manifested and it's brilliant. Every, Brad's answer to everything is me reading Immortal Hulk. That's correct. I'll read get, Immortal Hulk. I'll get around to it. Jeez. To wrap up this story... Everything seems back in its place. Silver Surfer goes to leave, and it's Eve that asks him to wait. She's being a total enthusiast. She's like, it's Dawn's turn to have some adventures. And she goes like, you cannot leave without her. And Dawn is like, what? And Eve goes like, you have been a changed person since you came back. Yeah, she recognizes a metamorphosis has happened. And she goes like, clearly your story with this weirdo is not over. And Don is like, uh, goes to her dad and is like, kind of like, is this okay? And he goes like, it's time for you to have your own dream. So this is Eve and Reg, the dad, facing their nightmares. They're allowing Don to leave and that'll involve Eve staying at the inn a little bit longer and Reg giving, 
letting her go. Yeah, it's really a beautiful ending. The surfer is happy to have Don with him, but he does say, you know, there will be dangers. Uh, But Don says, but you're still my champion, right? And then his response, super sweet. From all I've seen, Don Greenwood, you do a fine job of championing yourself. Love. So good. Yes. A perfect, perfect ending to the first chapter of Allred and Slot's Silver Surfer run. Technically, there's some more content. Uh, there's a tiny little story that's part of the all-new Marvel Now Point One issue, which actually was published before all of this, uh, but chronologically takes place after the events of the first five issues. I think there are two little points in this story I want to bring up. It's there is one point where I fully swoon for Norin Rad <laughs> and it's when they're sitting at this cafe on the planet Nauticos where they're watching the Festival of Lights which is not at all like the Northern Lights. The cosmic rays. And Dawn's eyes are fully full of tears and she says like you're right it's more beautiful than anything on earth and then you see Norin Rad Silver down looking at Don Greenwood and says, I never said that. Like he thinks that she's the most beautiful thing on earth. And <laughs> my heart goes a flutter. Um, and then the other thing that's important about this is, of course, there is some conflict. Uh, pirate Captain Shar, who is a, like an enormous shark, comes to shake everyone down during this festival. And there are, and uh, Silver Surfer engages with that. And Dawn helps by shielding this family of otters. And she's like, it's okay. Like, Silver Surfer's got this under control. And they're like, you should not trust that guy. He is a herald and he brings death. And she's like, What's that? (laughs) And so she gets this glimpse into his past. And instead of asking him about it directly, she goes like, why don't we try some areas of the universe that you haven't been. Mm -hmm. That's a smart move. That's a smart move. But of course, all of that uh, Galactus backstory is going to come into play in the next volume. And I feel like she's kind of avoiding it. Yeah. Like she knows that there's this terrible thing, but she's not ready to engage with it quite yet. That's probably the right move. Is it? I don't know. Well, we can answer that question on our next Don and Norin episode. Yes. I am just so filled with happiness right now. I'm so glad that we finally tackled these two. Um, Revisiting uh, Silver Surfer from All Red and Slot, uh, I am struck by what a pure romance comic book it is. And there really is nothing like this book coming out of Marvel at this time or even now or coming out of DC. We have so few romance adventure stories. And I think that is what ultimately separates this storyline from every other superhero comic. Um, Every other Silver Surfer comic. And certainly certainly. every other Silver Surfer comic. And and I think that's, again, that's what people butt up against. But you just got to give yourself to it. And if you've stuck with us this entire time, obviously you're on team Norrin and Don. Yeah, forever. Forever. But now comes the time where we have to evaluate what we have learned from this story. Lisa, like, what are you taking from this conversation into our relationship? I feel like we've barely grazed the surface with our conversation with Stephanie Baron Hall and yeah, the sure. Enneagram. I I do come at, come at it with a certain amount of skepticism about its origins. And 
I I feel like the Enneagram tends to focus on what we feel like we're lacking rather than what we feel like our strengths are, which which gives me pause. But I do think that there is always good things to come out of the question of, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? And is there a more mindful and present way to do it? Mm. Like, let's not, let's think beyond our knee-jerk reactions and let's try to to make our choices from a place of consideration. You know, honestly, for me, I'm loving the Enneagram thing so far because Mm -hmm. it reminds me a little bit of The Five Love Languages, which was the first self-help book that we applied way back when to Scott and Jean. And that gave me a structure, a frame that was easy to latch onto. And I've continued to use that language going forward into every episode. And I feel like these types are something that will reappear in our conversations, uh, no matter what the couple. Certainly. And I like the vocabulary that it gives us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and, and so I find that all exciting. Um, you know, I, I do go, uh, well, the wing situation, if like, could we? Do we only have two wings? I feel like we could have many wings. And the fact that the wings have to be an adjacent. Yeah, like yeah. you can't you can't be a three with a six wing. But I like having the ability to go like this type. The enthusiast type feels the most true to me. And how can I navigate my life, sort of knowing what my type is? Yeah, and th- and like. You can ask yourself, am I doing this to escape boredom? Yeah. Or am I just, or am I truly engaging with life? I also think that these are really easy to apply to fictional characters. Not only easy, but fun to do. And so I think this could be the most fun we have with a self-help guru, or at least one of the most uh, enjoyable uh, self-help gurus we've had on this show. One of the funnest things about applying these self-help ideas to characters is that even though I like, it's not like Dan Slott was sitting down no. with the Enneagram going like, well, I'm going to make Don Greenwood. But it's easy to choose. do. But it's, it's so consistent. And this goes back also to S- Scott Summers and Jean Grey. We like in the very first episode, we go, well, clearly Scott Summers' love languages is acts of service. And then we could apply that over several arcs by different authors. So I think that there is some amount of truth to going like this type of person exists out in the world. We see them and then artists write and portray them. So I find that consistency like fascinating. Mm. So that's the Enneagram side. But what about what have we learned from the relationship between Don Greenwood and Norrin thus far? What I love about this stage in the relationship where they're coming together and we're seeing how each one complements the other is it allows you to think about, well, okay, what are you bringing to your relationship, Brad, that is complementing Lisa? And what is Lisa bringing to the relationship that's complementing me? And I think that is something that couples should be thinking about a lot. And if that's not happening, if you're like, well, no one's benefiting the other person, then you really might have an issue. Yeah, I I like that idea of going like, everybody is a student to everybody else. Everybody, like, it's like Don Greenwood said, everybody's important. And if you engage with each person with the idea of, 
well, what can I learn from this person? Yeah, what? yeah. And, 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 you know, like I think about this podcast and how I would never in a billion years be uh, contributing to something like this without your input and your encouragement of looking inward uh, has benefited me. And, and when I find myself getting into states of frustration or anger, uh, the conversations that we've had on this podcast have allowed me to pull myself, uh, out of those, or at least, um, pull myself out of them a little, uh, easier or quicker. Yeah. I, me too. Like, I feel like I learn a lot from our love gurus, but I feel like also I learn about you as you talk about like, okay, well, this is how I'm processing this story. And now we are building a shared vocabulary between us yeah. of like, right now I want to be a Don Greenwood or I'm, I'm feeling like Alec Holland right now. <laughs> like this may be triangling, like talking about stories or talking about something else to get to the heart of our relationship. But the reason why humanity creates stories is to do that. Is to do well, it's the evolution of our species is how we learn from each other is through art. Yeah. And I love how in this story, Norin Rad, Silver Surfer, imbued with the power cosmic, and Don Greenwood, who is imbued with the power of radical compassion, are peers. Like everybody has something to bring to the table. Amen. I cannot believe that we're coming to the end of our episode number yeah. 50. I just want to make it last forever. I know. But we do have to talk about what's coming up next week. Yeah, so things are going to get a little weird again. Remember how earlier this year we started our Rogue and Gambit series and then fled to Utah for the Sundance Film Festival? We couldn't record our usual in-depth analysis from the road, so we dropped a couple of fun single-issue discussions on a pair of significant Rogue and Gambit stories. Well, we're doing something similar next week. Only this time, we're not jet-setting to someplace cool. Aw, Hugo, Minnesota is cool. Hugo, Minnesota is cool. I'm just saying, like, we're going to a funeral, Lisa. Yeah, I feel like I've been in a little bit of a time warp because my Grandpa Joe passed away in March, right at the beginning of this pandemic. Not COVID-related. Not COVID. He was 101 years old. Hell yeah. He got... Several victory laps at the end of life. Yes, he did. And he passed away in his home. So that's, it's all, it's all good. Um, but we haven't been able to travel and his funeral hasn't been able to be scheduled and all of that stuff. So finally, we're getting to put, we're getting to celebrate his life and put my yeah. grandpa Joe to, to rest. And we're going to be traveling, uh, we're gonna be road tripping, just to avoid being in airports and all of that stuff. Yeah, traveling during a pandemic is a little scary and a little weird, uh, but we still ultimately decided that it was very important to us to be there for Lisa's father, as well as for the rest of the family. Um, 
you know, uh, it'll be fun to travel. We love to travel, but it'll probably be strange too. Uh, please wish us luck, but we're taking you with us anyway. That's right. right that's right. So uh, for next week, we're actually going to have a guest on the show, Eric, and maybe Steven from our local Four Color Fantasies comic book shop will pop in to discuss the really rad comic book sketch cover auction that they've got going on to help the Literacy Foundation of Winchester, Virginia. They've uh, amassed a crazy, insane, talented bunch of folks to contribute incredibly intricate pieces for their auction. We're talking Daniel Warren Johnson, Peter Bagg, and Adam Hughes, just to name a few. Do not tell them all of the cool people because they're going to bid on it and they're going to outbid us. I mean, I have a bid on the Daniel Warren Don't Johnson Thor cover with Beta Ray Bill. It's so cool. I doubt I'm going to win because the price is so low at the moment. Feel free to contribute, to outbid me. That's okay. I might outbid you. It's so rad. Uh, but it, they're going to come on. They're going to talk about the charity. Maybe we can get a little Silver Surfer talk in there with Eric as well. And uh, we might pair that interview with uh, a single issue. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Groot number three, yeah. which is the only other non-Allred slot appearance of Don Greenwood. Uh, there's actually also like a couple panels in a Civil War II spinoff series, The Fallen, but I'm not counting those. Uh, but if we don't cover Groot number three next week because we have such a rad conversation with Eric and Steven, then we'll cover it the week after. We'll do a little road trip episode. We'll have some fun. Uh, but once we're back in the love nest, we'll return to Allred and Slot's story arc, picking up with the very next volume entitled Worlds Apart, which consists of Silver Surfer Volume 7, Issues 6 through 10. And of course, we're going to continue our conversation with Stephanie Baron Hall and the Enneagram in Love. I'm super stoked that we are going to cover all of Allred and Slot's run over the course of these four episodes with Don and Norrin. So that's extremely exciting. We know I'm extremely excited. I'm plorping in my pants. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. That could be edited out, but it won't. To me, my Brad, it's time to surf the cosmic skyways. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, as well as our celebratory Big 5-0 poster, then send them over to at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and iTunes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our new website, www.comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on iTunes. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, folks, keep your love tanks full. And your psychic rapport open. To type all of these characters oh, that cool. Don Greenwood is encountering. All right, let me let me get my sheet of paper with all the types. Yeah. Ooh, good foley work on that. Good foley work. <laughs>